you wanted the best, you've got the best podcast. The hottest, hottest. podcast in the world. In the world. The Chris Voss Show, the preeminent podcast with guests so smart you may experience serious brain bleed. The CEOs, authors, thought leaders, visionaries, and motivators. Get ready, get ready. Strap yourself in. Keep your hands, arms, and legs inside the vehicle at all times because you're about to go on a monster education roller coaster with your brain. Now, here's your host, Chris Voss. Hi, folks. It's Voss here from thechrisvossshow.com. Thechrisvossshow.com. I should make a challenge there every day to uh, hit a different uh, pitch and just see what happens. I don't know. Clearly, my uh, my wanting to end up in opera is not going to work out. We all know that after 13 years, right? Welcome to the show, my friends. We certainly appreciate you being part of the big show. Thanks for all the calls and emails we've been getting lately. It's been quite exciting, especially the calls. We're actually going to put a number out. I'm going to make a number for the show people can call into because people have been tracking my number down lately and calling in, and I'm just like, well, that's pretty cool. But it's on my personal line, damn it, which I don't mind so much, but we'll make a business line for it. So stay tuned for that. Uh, There'll be some giveaways we'll be giving away, too, that we've got coming up. So we'll watch for that as well. Refer the show to your family, friends, and relatives. Remember, it's the holiday season. Uh, One thing we should make an announcement with, we're doing our big CEO interviews at CES show that we've been doing for 13 years or so. And uh, those are coming up. So stay tuned for that. There'll be a bunch of products we'll be reviewing, of course, as we always do from CES show. And it's going to be exciting. That's going to be the first week of January. So you'll see a flood of our interviews there. where We sit down with CEOs of uh, major corporations and talk to them about what the hell is this? No, I'm just kidding. You know, basically whatever the phone is or whatever the thing is. Anyway, YouTube.com, Fortress Chris Foss, Goodreads.com, Fortress Chris Foss, the big LinkedIn groups, the LinkedIn newsletter, all the stuff we do on LinkedIn. And we're trying to get stuff working over there on the, uh, what is it? The TikTok, but we just can't be cool. So we're working on, we're trying to get our mojo on or whatever that means. Anyway, we have an amazing author on the show. He's the, uh, architecture critic. Of the New York Times, you may have heard of it. It's been around for a couple hundred years. Uh, I think at least a couple, one or two hundred years. I'm just making stuff up as I go along, people. He's on the show with us today. He's going to be talking about his newest book that comes out. It's uh, yesterday, November 29th, 2022. I can't believe it's almost Christmas. Uh, The Intimate City, Walking New York. Michael Kimmelman is on the show with us today. As I mentioned, he's the architectural critic, architecture critic. He can be architectural if he wants. I mean, it's free country uh, of the New York Times. He was the paper's chief art critic and from Berlin created the abroad column covering politics and culture across Europe and the Middle East. He is uh, reported from more than 40 countries and founded Headway, a nonprofit journalistic initiative focused on global challenges and paths to progress. A native New Yorker, twice a finalist for the Pulitzer Prize. Congratulations. Kimmelman is the author of the accidental masterpiece on the art of life and vice versa and portraits, talking with artists at the Met, the Modern, the the Louvre, and elsewhere. I'm not sure where elsewhere is that. Is that a place or is that just everywhere? Welcome to the show, Michael. How are you? Fine, Chris. Thanks. Happy to be here. Congratulations on the new book. We're glad to have you. Uh, give us your dot coms where we want people to find you on the interwebs and get to know you better. Yeah, well, I'm at uh, at Kimmelman on Twitter. Um, mm-hmm. So long as Twitter's still around. Uh, <laughs> and uh, I don't have my own website, but I'm, I'm reachable through the New York Times. 
and you can click on my byline and uh, you can get to me directly. It's it's not exactly like your direct phone, but it's pretty close. There you go. Um, the yeah. New York Times, I've heard of that. It's been around. Yeah. We've had a number of reporters and journalists from the reporters and journalists, reporters, journalists, whatever. Both. Whatever. Yeah, yeah, from the New York Times. Great, great publication. Wonderful uh, journalists who write uh, amazing books we have out on the show. So uh, you've uh, you've been writing for some time. What motivated you want to write this book? Well, Chris, it actually grew in the very first days of uh, COVID. Uh, it grew out of a kind of despair and desperation. So the New York had actually just meet just gone into lockdown i mean i think uh governor then governor cuomo had uh, basically told people everybody had to stay in and um and so you know like everybody else i i felt uh panicked and confused and so forth um but i also knew that uh i wouldn't be able to like do my job in a normal way and um i i wanted to sort of think of what i could do partly to get my own mind off the you know, pandemic it was, was was about to become a pandemic, um, but also to see what I could do with which was useful. Um, so I sent out an email to a whole bunch of um, people I knew, architects and designers and writers and, and others. And I suggested that we take a walk around the city. Um, take me, I said, someplace meaningful to you. We could just take a short walk. That was still possible. Um, and I thought, you know... <laughs> Back then, there was a lot of pressure on people like me and, and journalists and people in the media, and everyone was supposed to predict what was supposed to happen. And, uh, you know, I didn't know what was going to happen, you know, in an hour. And I, I, I was completely paralyzed and unable to predict anything. And also knew that we were doing a lot of leaning on into disaster scenarios. You know, like <clears throat> there was a lot of prognosticating about the end of days. Yeah. And, Especially if you were, as I was, living in New York City, you know, the news was just everyone was abandoning New York City. And, you know, it was just like some one of these disaster movies of the 1970s, people fleeing and um, and the city was going to end and what we, you know, what were we going to do and so forth. I, I just, A, I had no idea. But B, I didn't think that was true. I mean, the city has been through lots of ups and downs a century ago we went through a, another epidemic and uh came out of that much stronger uh, mm. you know so what i did know was that the city itself was a kind of um rock you know it was something we all shared it was something we could see outside our windows it was something that gave us a sense of uh community when we were suddenly locked inside so i thought walking around would be kind of a distraction and a joy um, and uh, it would give me something to do <laughs> besides worry and worry about my family. Yeah. And, uh, so that's how it started. And then it just grew over time. Um, Cause I think people uh, were glad to get something um, that wasn't just another, you know, gloom and doom story about, about uh, the pandemic. Um, but then also I think it was something that bound us together because that's what cities uh, at their best, do you know we went? You, you speak to that well because we went through something where you know something that we took granted for granted every day, you know, was taken kind of from us a little bit, and we 
you know, like, like, you know, I always gone out, you know, like you to eat with friends and coffee and, you know, you go out and do stuff. You don't really think about it. Like, you're not like, you're not like, well, what if I didn't have Starbucks today? Which you probably should think about. Um, get, get some real coffee people. Um, but you know, you, 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 uh, you, you, you suddenly couldn't go out to eat with people and you lost your society, your community. And you're just like, well, you got to go spend time, you know, with the wife and kids. And if, I mean, have you see my kids? No, I'm just kidding. I don't have any kids. That's the way that joke works. Um, but I've seen other people's kids and they should really, anyway, I'm just kidding. Being funny. Um, <laughs> just offend everyone's kids, Chris, on the show. That'll make for great, that'll make for great audience uh, pleasure. Uh, <laughs> uh, we lost everybody who doesn't have kids, Chris. Three people are listening to the podcast. Anyway, before I segue again. Um, and so, it, it was like it, it was it was really hard, and yeah. you realize how important those things were. And yeah, I mean the the dire situation that was coming out of New York, and and of course big cities where people were like, ah, oh, we're out of here, we're moving. You saw these moving yeah. trucks that were leaving big cities, and you know people were doing the death knell of like there'll never be big cities anymore. Everyone's moving to the middle of the country, and and then of course everyone moved to Kansas and went, holy shit, we're moving back to New York City. There, I just lost the Kansas crowd, all five of them. Yeah. Um, the uh, so you really speak to that, and it it's it was hard to come back to that. One of the most interesting things was seeing Times Square hmm. like a ghost town, like just empty. Yeah. What was that like for you to see that? Yeah, I mean, the very first walk I did in the book was with a guy named David Rockwell, who's done a million. Uh, uh, he's an architect and a mm-hmm. designer. He's done a lot of shows on Broadway, won Tonys and stuff like this, and we met in Times Square and walked around and there was like <laughs> nobody there. I mean, the New York Times is called, it's called Times Square for a reason. Uh, so it's where my office is and I was used to being there, um, you know, every day and seeing mobs and now there was nobody. There were there was a couple of people in, you know, Elmo and Mickey Mouse costumes hoping to find <laughs> some easy marks, but there were no tourists uh it was nothing. On the other hand, uh, and that was very eerie, um, but it was also a kind of wonderful moment in retrospect to sort of see, it was like time stopped. Yeah. And it was to, to see the buildings, to see the streets, to sort of breathe and, and look around. You know, one of the things about the way we move and operate in cities is often that we're just, you know, not really taking that moment to look. Um, and we're trying to get quickly from one place to another. So on a certain level, I think the pandemic also had the value of letting us stop and look around, yeah. reminding us how we wanted each other in those in those streets as well. Except for my kids. Um, kids. Yeah. The, uh, have you seen them lately? Uh, that's going to be the callback joke of the show, I guess. Um, you're right. It was eerie. Like I would see pictures in New York and I'd just be like, holy crap. And it would, you know, look like, was that legend movie with that one actor who punched the other actor? Well, Will Smith, you know, it was like, it's kind of like apocalyptic stuff that was eerie. So you guys, uh, let me ask you this, because I wanted to ask you this first. Why, Why did you name the book, The Intimate City? Is this a love letter to New York, basically? It really did end up being one because, uh, first of all, I'm a native New Yorker. I grew up here. I've lived elsewhere. I lived in Europe. Um, I came back and I love other places. I'm not, uh, I, I, I know what people, some people think of New York. It's not for everybody. Um, 
But I think it's an, an equal opportunity elitist city, meaning anybody can come here and the next morning just say they're a New Yorker, and that's totally fine by me. It's, I think it's a very welcoming place, in fact, or whatever its reputation might be. Um, so, so I love the city, and it began with a desire that, you know, uh, that people also share in that uh, affection for this thing which was binding us together. But I also took people around and asked them to take me to places that were, you know, meaningful to them. So a lot of what uh, I got was not, you know, it's not like an architecture tour or just a guidebook, which you, you know, I mean, there's great guidebooks out there. It was really a way in which people talked about themselves and their lives and what was meaningful to them. Um, and in some cases about their childhoods and the neighborhoods where they grew up and, you know, because... Cities are lived places. They're not accumulations of buildings or landmarks. And everybody has a different experience. When I moved through Greenwich Village, where I grew up, you know, I I have a million feelings. I'm not checking off the box of the name of an architect who did a, a building on a particular street. And, I'll, I mean, that's a good case where I was walking around with somebody, um, and he was just pointing out how the neighborhood had changed and a street that I had basically grown up on, I'd never really looked at. I'd never stopped in that way to think about how the city got the street and the city in general got to take the forms that it did. Why one side of the street looked different from another. So, it, you know, it was intimate in a lot of ways. It was intimate for me. It was intimate, I think, for the people who um, who I walked around with. And I and I do also believe that that it's New York has this reputation too of being such a big city that it's kind of anonymous, but in fact it's made up of millions of people who are neighbors and know each other and um, have their streets and communities where they're there's very tightly bound together and there's a lot of intimacy in the city in the best sense of the word. Yeah, I mean people are connected to their community. And and I think that's what we found during COVID. We were alienated from our community or, you know, we we couldn't enjoy our community. And that's when we realized how important it was. You know, I realized a lot of things. I, mean, I think everyone sat down and said, what are my values in life? What's, what's important? What's not important? What's, what's meaningful? What's not meaningful? You know, my family can disappear in a heartbeat and, uh, you know, th- this virus can take them and, and I don't know, you know. It can just happen like that. And you don't know. It was like so random. Um, It's a beautiful book because not only do you have a lot of interesting pictures that you don't normally see in like, you know, the mainstream, like here's the Eiffel Tower, or not the Eiffel Tower, the uh, Statue of Liberty. Here's the, you know, here's all the things everyone wants to see. And you really go around and, and throughout it. You're, you're having these conversations with people that go on these uh, tours with you. And it it, it really kind of adds the intimacy of it. Yeah, thank you. I, I appreciate that. Photography is beautiful. Um, I had some amazing photographers who who did that um, work, and I, I, I since I didn't do this myself, I can just say the the people at Penguin Press who produced the book produced this incredibly beautiful object. Um, it's just a, it's a beautiful thing and uh, heavy. <laughs> yeah, it's a heavy book. It's a it's yeah, a it has a real book. weight to it. But the tone of it, I think, is very light and 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 upbeat and accessible and and human, which was, which was the goal. I wanted people to, um, you know, it's not a book about COVID, but you're right that it, that it's it grows out of that sense that there is this thing that we share 
each other in this place, um, in these different communities. Uh, and so th- there's a, you know, there's a sense in which I think the preciousness of the book in a way is a little like the preciousness that we felt about, uh, this, you know, about our lives together that seemed so vulnerable at, at that time. Yeah, you're like, are we ever going to be able to go out and eat again? Like, uh, yeah. are we all just going to be locked in our homes? It's going to be... Well, you know, you know? Chris, one of the interesting things that happened early on in New York, and I think it happened in a bunch of other cities too, but here it was um, on a big scale, of course, was that um, the hospitality industry sort of collapsed. I mean, nobody was going out to restaurants, and, you know, that's a big part of the New York City economy. And mm-hmm. um, so uh, overnight, um, the decision was made to allow restaurants uh, to take over essentially parking spots and sidewalks um, uh, and to, to have places to eat outside. They came to be called streeteries, like these little, you know, stalls and stands and covered stands outside. And thousands of them around the city suddenly sprang up overnight. And there were a bunch of interesting things that happened as a result of that. One was that, you know, in New York, if you try to, like, eliminate a single parking space, it's like the, it's like the battle of the Somme in terms of community resistance. You know, people are, like, uh-huh. up in arms and usually, and you can't take my parking space, and it's just crazy. So, you know, that doesn't usually happen. Overnight, like 10,000 of them, which was partly because there was a larger need and partly because we just exercised the will to do it. It was like, okay, well, we're just, we're just going to say we'll do it. We didn't have to go through that process. But, of course, the other thing that happened was that suddenly all these streets all over the city became activated again. People could go mm-hmm. out, sit outside where it was safer, they felt, um, we felt. And streets be- came back to life. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we can take for granted, I think, especially people who don't live in a city – um, may take for granted just how meaningful are these shared public spaces, um, how important they are. It doesn't, you don't have to live in a tiny apartment to need to have those spaces. It's just there's something about the very nature of a city, a democracy, a cosmopolis that is based on these spaces, these places where we negotiate each other, figure, out, figure stuff out, figure our shared existence together. I mean, I don't mean to make it too highfalutin, but that's sort of, that's sort of the beauty of a city. And, and when these streeteries opened, you saw people just like, it was like a collective breath of fresh air, you know, just like everyone exhaled and the streets came alive again. Uh, And this was still before, um, you know, we had vaccines before people felt even entirely comfortable, uh, well, if anybody does now, you know, going out and being together because the urge to do that, the need to do that was was so strong. Um, and the last thing, if I'll just say, Chris, it also tells us something very important, if I may just pontificate for another second, which is sure. that, you know, a city like New York can seem to be this monolithic, gigantic thing built of stone and steel and glass. And, but it, it's actually an organism. It changes. Neighborhoods change. The buildings change. You know, you, you come from Vegas where things are changing all the time. The cities are – that's part of what makes them alive. They're dynamic. And so we saw that overnight the streets could change. And I think that was also an important lesson. Because we were stuck in this pandemic, 
And it was a reminder that things can and that they will change. And indeed, they have. I, yeah, I love it. They, you know, we, we really found out how important community was. Like yeah. we, we really took it for granted. And like you say, New York is such a hustle and bustle, big city. I've been there. You got to keep moving. You can't just stand on the sidewalk and block everybody or you're going to get punched or yelled at. Uh, you know, it's a busy city. And, you know, you, you took time with this book and had the opportunity there with COVID to, to, you know, spend time in places where, you know, you know, the bustle is gone and you can look around and go, you know, what is this about? And what is it? You know, I, I grew up, uh, I grew up in SoCal. So I, I kind of lived in the big city. And then, uh, in my teens, my parents moved us to American Fark, Utah, which was basically like Kevin Bacon in, in, uh, that one movie going from, I think we moved from New Jersey to American Fork, Utah. It was the same city. And it was shock. It was just shock and awe. And I remember growing up in my teens, and reaching that point of wanting to go to what was, you know, the big city, Salt Lake City for the time for us, which is, you know, nothing compared to New York. Um, and, uh, but still the vibrancy of going there. And this is back in the age when cruising was what you did as teenagers during, I don't know if you remember yeah, yeah. that. Of course. Um, but you know, you would cruise to go meet girls in your teens and, you know, you drive up and down State Street and just do that over and over all night long. Like it seems kind of silly now, but it actually was probably better than dating on dating apps. But uh, there was a vibrancy. You go to the city and there was a liveness there. There was a feeling of energy. The, the, the big buildings, you know, just implied that there was something going on. One of my favorite, um, one of my favorite uh, uh, lyrics and songs about uh, Manhattan and New York was written by Rush, Neil Peart, The Camera Eye. I don't know if you've ever read no. the lyrics from that or been a fan, but he wrote a, some beautiful lyrics about just the excitement of the city, the feel of Manhattan, the feel of being in those places and finding those. So uh, it, I, I love the stories you tell in the book as you go through them. How did you choose? Like, there's a lot of stuff that I never seen in, yeah. in New York and I, I'm, I, I haven't been there a lot, but you know, it's, you don't see it on the, on the normal, you know, here's the uh, Statue of Liberty. Here's the, you yeah. know, the, the big towers. Um, how did you pick things? Did you pick things or did you just kind of wander? Well, it grew. It was sort of uh, organic over time as I realized that, you know, people were, um, you know, liking this. And as I felt that there was a uh, – because because so, I should say I began by doing it for in the New York Times. I was publishing these in the Times, and so I was getting reactions from people. And I began to um, – where many of these, not all of the things in the book appeared um, – and and I began to think, well, actually, what I can do here is create a portrait of New York mm -hmm. um, by covering not not a complete portrait, obviously nothing vaguely like it, um, but something that suggests the complexity of the city, the the variety of neighborhoods and people who've made it, the fact that you know it's not just a bunch of architects who design buildings, but you have uh, engineers who design those buildings, lawyers and politicians and others who established the laws and terms of, you know, by which things can happen in a city, community organizers, uh, you know, the list goes on and on and on. Um, and that if the book could somehow be a little tiny reflection of that, it would stand in for the city at large. So I was trying to make sure that I covered ground, but also not the ground that you're describing. I do do Times Square and, um, you know, some other obvious places, like I said, Broadway um, and Museum Mile. But it's really to give you a, a sense of 
just how rich and and unending the city is. Like you were saying, Chris, you can't stand on a street corner without getting bumped or 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 punched for too long. But the truth is, the city. And this is a lesson to me. I have to say, even as someone who's lived here for most of my life, the city is full of places which are. You know, some of them look like the country. Uh, some of them are very suburban. Some of them are, you know, sprawling neighborhoods of single-family houses. Uh, some of them are some weird mix. They're, the the tall buildings and, like, I was in Forest Hills, Queens. Forest Hills, Queens was a planned community a century ago uh, when Queens was still farmland uh, a little over a century ago which was built to attract essentially people from Manhattan who wanted to move to the suburbs, uh, but still on these newfangled subway lines. And it's basically, uh, you know, the countryside with houses in it. It's like an English village. Mm -hmm. And right next door, right across the street, are these big, tall buildings where lots of new immigrants have moved in. Again, a really wonderfully complex, um, you know, hard to describe thing it's not a single thing and you get out of the subway station in forest hills having come from let's say times square it's like you've gone to another world entirely you've gone into the english countryside so i mean i think i wanted to give some sense of that um and i also wanted to talk to a guy named eric sanderson who's just great eric is a um a scientist a an ecologist and has studied the evolving geography and and topography and ecology of the city. So he and I looked back. We pretended that uh, we were in the city back when Henry Hudson first sailed into the harbor in 1609. Mm. What would we see? And that conversation took us back like 450 million years. Um, and we did the same thing in the Bronx. It was really cool. Like I had no idea. Um, you know, that Times Square had been a beaver pond or, you know, that lower wow. Manhattan had been covered with like half a mile of ice, um, that yeah. kind of thing. It's, yeah. It was really fascinating. Um, as I said, you learned, one learns, I learned, you know, how things got to be the way they are. You know, we study history. We have a lot of historians that come on with their books. And, you know, we talk about textually history and tell the stories of them. But mm-hmm. I never really thought about it from the angle that architecture tells a story of our history and our city. And it, it, it has stories that are built into it. You know, somebody put their, their heart, soul and mind into something, their passion. Maybe it tells a story of their family, their, their, uh, family history, a story of the city in and of itself. And so really these things are not only visually appealing, you know, to us, you know, you look at texts in a, in a history book and I certainly did in high school and I was like, Oh God, I got to read stuff. But with architecture, you can look at it and you can go, that's really interesting. Like one of my favorite things in LA was to go down to some of the old, uh, I don't know if it is it called art deco. Some of the, some of the art deco of LA that, you know, that kind of that wonderful feel that you get from, you know, the old Hollywood sort of downtown LA is full of that. Yeah. We all and, I yeah. love it. I see it. Yeah. And I just like, this is so awesome. I wonder where it came from. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it's beautiful that you do this. Anything we haven't touched on in the book that we should uh, touch on? Oh, you do cover four of the five barrios in the book. You make chapters on each different areas and stuff. Yeah, no, I mean, I we would cover. So New York is made up of five boroughs and oh, I, I couldn't get to Staten Island. So next time. Um, 
but I, I try to cover a lot of ground. And, you know, my hope is that people will read the book who want, who live in New York, who want to come to New York, who just think about New York, who think about cities, and will read it entirely for pleasure. I think it's, um, it's, not, it's not meant to be a textbook. It's meant to be deeply personal. Because as you say, Chris, buildings are lived in. Um, communities are lived in. And I think that sense of, of life um, and how we express ourselves in the communities we create, the places we build, that, that's, that's sort of what New York, like, like other great cities, is all about. Um, so I hope people get that from the book, and I hope they, um, they find it beautiful, because uh, I, I certainly am so grateful that it's such a nice-looking object, too. I liked it, because I could go through it, and I didn't feel like I had to read from beginning to end. Right. I was kind of found myself fishing through the pictures, yep. and, I, you know, and there's, there's pictures on, I think, almost every page or every every couple pages, uh, about every other page or so. And so I found myself kind of just flipping through and then I'd see like, Hey, what is that? That's really interesting. Yeah. And then I get to reading the conversations he had around the pieces. And so I really liked it because it didn't feel like it was a book that was forcing me to like, you must start on page one or you won't know what's <laughs> going on. And yeah. you could just like jump around you can hop around and you can just fiddle with it when you want and pick it up when you want. Absolutely. And so yeah. That no, made it really good. Yeah. Thank you for that. I, I appreciate it. Yeah, it made it for a fun read. Yeah, and you know, it's also, I will say, um, since you're allowing me to do this, it was also intended when I did the walks that somebody could take these walks. So you can go with the book or with the audio version of Kindle, whatever, and, and you can go around to these places and see them yourself. They were designed as walks. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I do hope people, it'll inspire people who come here. When we walk around a place, I think we come to feel that we on some level own it, that we have come to, it becomes ours. You know, why do we get on an airplane, save money, deal with TSA and all the hassle of an airplane and fly someplace and deal with jet lag maybe and then walk around? Um, It's because on some level, it's not just a bucket list thing. It's because then we believe that on some level it becomes a part of us too. Um, it's ours. And I, and I think that's, that's what I hope the book conveys. And it's sort of what I meant about New York too. You know, it, it's a place for, for everyone. I, I really, I really do believe that it doesn't mean that everyone has to love it, but I, I do believe it's open. It's an open city. And that's, and that's a really, um, to me, a very joyous thing about it. Definitely. And then if you go to probably many of the sites that are in here, you won't, you'll avoid the tourist crowds. You will indeed. Yeah. <laughs> That's cool. what I, anytime I go to downtown Las Vegas, I'm like, F and tourists. Oh my <laughs> gosh. You know, they're walking around going, oh, lights. I've never seen lights before. And you're like, get out of my way. It's yeah. a casino, man. It's been here forever. Get over it. <laughs> but uh, no, that's the beautiful part about New York. It, was there was there a favorite barrio or area you had that you loved the most architecture wise? I mean, Am I putting you on the spot. No, well, you're not putting me on the spot exactly. But I can't say there's one. Look, I, I did a walk around my old neighborhood, um, mm-hmm. and I do love the village. It's uh, you know, it's sort of in my bones. The other night, I woke up dreaming that I was in my childhood bedroom. I probably everybody does this, but that included the traffic noise outside the window. Um, So it's sort of something I, you know, uh, I still have family in that neighborhood. Um, I live uptown now, but um, that was fun to go do that because again, you know, I was able to see things I didn't 
no, I'd, I'd never thought about because I'd just taken it for granted. There's a street called Christopher Street. Why is Christopher Street at a weird angle when all the other streets are at a grid in the city? Well, that's because it was the property line of a British admiral who had his estate there in the colonial era. And this was the border of his property. And all these other crooked streets in that area were where there were other property lines and cow paths and stuff. So these are like, wow. you know, little embedded memories. Um, that, that's not maybe the best example, but it's it's just one little thing that was like, opened my eyes to something I even thought I knew. You know, we, back in the early days of Instagram, when it was kind of more about photos and not about thirst traps, um, some of my uh, famous photographer friends would do uh, these photo tours where you go to a city or go to an area uh, and and you you just walk around as a team of people and photograph stuff. And and some people would be there that knew the history and talk about the history. We should bring those back. Yeah. And only only from an architecture aspect where we can have someone like you who can talk about how, you know, this is built in 18 whatever and it has you know this sort of style and why they why they maybe did it that way that would be really interesting to me yeah i mean i think it's always interesting to have like yes i obviously agree that architectural stuff can be super interesting people need to know i think also why that matters like what what difference does it make and and there's so many different ways of seeing the same thing you know chris i don't know where your your fictional children are now but you know it's a funny thing about (laughs) school kids because when you, you have kids parents know that you take them to a place and you want to show them something. This is a famous building that was designed. So, and they're like watching a balloon go up in the air or noticing a bottle <laughs> cap on the street. or They're in the same place. They're occupying the same space, but having a completely different experience about what matters. And I think, you know, that's not wrong. <laughs> That, that, that there are a lot of different ways we can unpack the places we move through and, and live in and what they mean to us. Um, if we just take the time, you know, and that, that's sort of, as I said, what what this this project allowed me to do and a few other people, thanks to COVID. COVID was also a lesson, you know, it was, it is a lesson, I suppose, but crises can be opportunities, you know, uh, they're not, they're not, only disasters um and and for me it was an opportunity to look around and and see things a little more slowly which is you know you always get stuff you just didn't get before if you stop and look yeah you know i I think the reason i appreciate this is i was a photographer for a lot of years and one of my favorite things was to go jaunting for a day two day day jaunts where i just go i go someplace and shoot and and southern california i was living at the time there's so many different places to go shoot and my favorite place to go shoot of all times was Venice Beach. Mm. And I, w- I could go there, and you could sit along the boardwalk, and I have a long 200 lens. So uh, what I'd do is I'd sit there, get a table, and lean out with the 200 lens, and you'd shoot down. Because people know you're shooting them, then they... Yeah. And so you'd shoot way down, and, you know, Venice Beach is like, it's like the freak show of... Yeah. Of, of personalities and people and it's interesting to watch you know people do it and i would sit there for hours shooting people sometimes you pay people to get some shots of them uh because they were really interesting like the uh the guy who roller skates around with the guitar that's been in a lot of movies you may have seen right. but there's a real appreciation just just sometimes sitting down and just looking around you yeah and going what the hell is why, why the hell the who what where where when why you know yeah why is this yeah. here 
Yeah. This year. Why? I mean, the thing about, I, mean, I love LA. I love all parts of LA, including, uh, and including Venice. Um, but the one thing about New York is it's, it is a walkable city and mm-hmm. it, with, with the subway, I mean, you do have the Metro in LA, which is now expanding people's ability to do that sort of thing. But really the thing about New York is you can go down into the subway. You can get out. This is New Yorkers should do this more. You can get out of a place you've never been before. And like you're in a different world. Mm-hmm. And, um, I do know a lot of people who, who do what you're describing, sort of go around with a camera um, I have a good friend, Daniel Arnold, who's an amazing photographer. And that's mm. sort of, he does sort of what you're describing. He's just like out there all day looking for these kind of unexpected views, unexpected people. It's, it's, um, it's something the city like offers up to you because there's just so much happening. So many people passing by so many different views, so many different places for you to, you know, look out over the water or look down a long street and, um, I, I find it inspiring, and I think Daniel's like a good example of a photographer like you describing, you know, just the sort of wonder of being in a mm-hmm. place where unexpected stuff is always happening. And you catch funny moments too, just like funny bits and moments and different things, and and uh, you know, I, I've even caught things where the reflection of of someone's sunglasses reflected something that was really cool and, and blown that in. So I think that's what's beautiful about your book. It reminds us to be in the present and mm-hmm. and to appreciate things, you know, because, I mean, I, I get out and play now because I'm like, I, if they have another COVID or pandemic, I'm getting my time in now, man. I'm appreciating life and everything else. So this has been really interesting. You know what would be kind of interesting? Uh, sadly, it would bring us back to electronic items that keep us from looking at the beauty around us. Yeah. That's probably a whole other podcast chat. But you know, these, they, it would be cool if they put like a QR code or something on buildings, at least really cool old buildings with great architecture. And you could like go up and like, and it would speak to you and be like, this building was built in. That would be really cool. I think that's a, actually a great idea, Chris. Yeah. I, it really is. There you go. Museums yeah. do that. You know, if you go into museums now, yeah. like, they're, you just listen to your head. Hey, listen to your headphones. But to be able to walk around a city and like have little walk arounds and maybe that should be like a, people could sell those as a tour. I mean, we used to do that with the photographic thing. You'd pay like 10 bucks. Yeah. And the head photograph would take you around. Anyway, Michael, it's been wonderful to have you on the show. Thank you for coming by. Really, really appreciate it. So much for having me, Chris. It's super fun. Brilliant discussion. You know, uh, be present, love life, uh, live, love and live the life that you have because. Time is short, my friends. Uh, any dot coms or Twitter, wherever you want people to look you up on the interwebs there? As I said, um, you're happy to reach out to me at the Times or, or on, on Twitter or on Instagram. Um, but, uh, you know, I'm just hoping you guys will go ahead and find the book somewhere and, and buy it and enjoy it. It's it's uh, it's easily found in every bookstore, I hope, and, and online. So thank you, Chris. Thank really you. Grateful. And thanks so much for tuning in. Order the book wherever fine books are sold. Stay away those alleyway bookstores. I had to get a tetanus shot after going in one. Uh, the Intimate City, Walking New York by Michael Kimmelman. Thank you, everyone, for uh, tuning in the show. We certainly appreciate it. YouTube.com, Fortress Chris Voss. Goodreads.com, Fortress Chris Voss. All the LinkedIn groups and all that crap we do on the interwebs. Thanks for tuning in. Be good to each other. Stay safe. And we'll see you guys next time. And that should have us out, my friend. <laughs>